Well, if you've got a Bible, open up to Psalm chapter 121. Psalm 121. If you don't have a Bible, grab one out of the pew in front of you. It's page 484 if you're looking at one of our hardback Bibles there. Psalm 121. It'll certainly be helpful if you've got the Bible open and uh, you can follow along with us. Like I mentioned before, there's an outline on the back of the worship guide, if that's helpful for you. You can see the main points listed there. You can write something down if you think it's helpful. If you're like me, you oftentimes forget things, so that could be helpful for you. Psalm 121. Uh, if you're newer with us, typically we, um, we pick a Bible book and then we just preach straight through it. It's what's called expository preaching. It's a big word, but it just means we're exposing the text. We're just pulling out the text. And that's what we're talking and thinking about, which is great because we want to let God set the agenda. It's what his word does. We don't want to come with our own preconceived ideas. No, we want to let him set the agenda for us. But, uh, but right now, the, the other elders in the church are team teaching through 1 Samuel. So that's what they're doing right now. So Lord willing, one of our elders, Tim, will preach the next chapter in 1 Samuel this coming Lord's Day. And then I just finished up Galatians. Well, I'm going to start Zechariah, Lord willing, in two weeks, but we're kind of breaking that up with a couple of psalms. So we looked at one psalm this past week, this Sunday, Psalm 121. Um, This is something you know if you're a parent or if you've been around little kids, but when little kids get hurt, especially if they're little, little kids, they want their parents. So they're looking around and actually even inside of parents, they usually want their mom so that's something that dads kind of have to get over real quick and just not get hurt feelings about because that's, that's the way it goes. So even if there's a kid that's playing with another kid or an adult and they're thrilled and happy and fine to be away from mom and dad, if that kid falls down on the pavement, skins their knees, the first thing they're doing is looking for help from their parents. Well, in Psalm 121, that's kind of the way the psalmist sets up situations in this life. So he's, he's making it clear there's difficulty in this life And so the question is, when there's difficulty, when hard things happen to us, when the fact that this world is sinful, when that sin comes to bear on our lives in hard ways, where do we look for our help? Because there's lots of different places we can look. There's lots of things this world has to offer us that they would say, look here, this will help you. This will soothe you. This will comfort you. But what the psalmist is saying is, are you doing that? Are you looking kind of horizontally at the things the world has to offer? Or... Are you looking up to the Lord, who's our real hope? So that's kind of the way this this psalm is set up. That's the question from where does our help come? So hear the word of the Lord, Psalm 121. And they were told, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither, neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. Well, we're going to see at least three main points from this passage. That's what's listed there on the outline on the back of the worship guide. So the first thing we're going to see is is God's call for you to turn your eyes away from the world for your comfort, for your help, and turn your eyes toward the Lord for your help. That's the first thing he's going to show us. And second, one reason to do that, because the Lord is powerful, 
the second thing we're going to see. And then the final point is our second reason to turn our eyes to the Lord and away from this world, because the Lord is eternally committed to you. Those are the three main things we're going to see. So first thing, turn your eyes away from the world and toward the Lord for your help. So as soon as Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 bring sin into the world, sin messes up everything. It breaks every part of the world. Anytime that you have suffered in this life, anytime you've met difficulty, it's a direct result of that event of sin coming into the world in Genesis 3. And every single human who has ever lived has to decide how to cope with that, how to cope with difficulty, how to cope with hard things that come up in life. And, and as humans, like I talked about before, we're tempted to look for that hope in all sorts of places, right? So we're, we're tempted to lessen the pain in this life by looking to, and we the list could go on and on, but I'll list a few, by looking to money. That's the thing that oftentimes we look to to try to soothe us, to comfort us in the midst of, of difficulty, to look to money or food or hobbies or relationships with people. Those are all things we tend, it's easy to run to. Well, the author of Psalm 121, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he shows us where our hope is rightfully placed. So look at verse one. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord. And again, it's the first main point this morning. Turn your eyes away from the world and toward the Lord for your help. So Psalm 121, it follows Psalm 120. And those two really go together. They really make a pair. Now, Look at the way Psalm 120 begins. There the psalmist says, in my distress, I called to the Lord. Okay, so the psalmist in chapter 120 and 121, he's in distress. There, there's hard things that are going on. And we know one of them from Psalm 120, he's in distress in part because he's away from the promised land. He's away from Jerusalem, which is this area that God had given to his people, this region that he had given to his Old Testament people. And the psalmist is away from that place. Look at Psalm 120, verse 5. He says, Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Okay, so those are two places that are outside of the promised land, that are away from, uh, from the Lord, from his presence. And you remember, the promised land is where the temple was built. And that's where God's presence was. So it was a significant thing for a follower of the Lord to have to be outside of the promised land. They were away from the Lord's presence in that situation. But see, that's exactly the situation that, that as sinners, we are too, or at least we were born into this life. So, so Adam and Eve, they were created to live inside of God's presence. They were created for the garden. You remember they walked with the Lord. They were in his presence there. We were created to be in God's presence. But as soon as they became sinners, you remember what happened. They're exiled. They're sent outside of the garden. And that's because our God is so good and true and beautiful that he has to judge sin. He can't sweep it under the rug. He can't ignore it. And so Adam and Eve are sent outside of the garden and that's where sinful man has been ever since and see even as christians in a way we're outside of god's presence right we certainly have his presence inside of us in in the role of the holy spirit we've seen that the past few weeks in different passages that have been preached 
We certainly have his good pleasure because our sins have been forgiven in Christ. We've been made his children, but we're not in his direct presence, are we? That waits for glory. That waits for heaven. So there's a way in which, in which we, even as Christians, are still in exile. Listen to the way the author of Hebrews says it. This is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16. He says, we desire a better country that is a heavenly one. So the psalmist and you are the same in that way. And we see in Psalm 121, he's looking up to the hills because he's away from the promised land. So, so that's sort of the, the presenting problem here. That's the distress for the psalmist. But, but we're all in distress in that same way because we live in a world and we live in sinful flesh that all of it's affected by sin. It's all broken. But what's significant to note in, in Psalm 121, right off the bat, is that the psalmist doesn't look horizontally for help. He's not looking at the things of this world. He, he doesn't say, I look around from where does my help come? It's significant that he doesn't say that. No, he says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Now in the Old Testament, when somebody talks about the hills, they're usually talking about the promised land. So you remember that, that, uh, that term Mount Zion? Well, that was a hill in Jerusalem. That's where the temple was built. It's up on the high ground. And Jerusalem was a rocky, hilly place. So it sort of became shorthand to talk about the promised land when you were away from it, to talk about the hills, lifting your eyes to the hills. And again, that's where the temple was built. That's where God's presence was. So that's what the psalmist is doing. He's looking toward the, uh, the temple of God's presence in Jerusalem. In fact, look at the small print in your Bible above the title of Psalm 121. You probably see, it probably says, a song of ascents. And that's because this psalm is part of a group of psalms that it looks like exiled Israelites would sing on their way traveling back to Israel. So they're traveling to the promised land and they would sing songs like this one as they ascended to go up to Jerusalem. So as the psalmist encounters difficulty in life, as he feels the painful effects of being outside the promised land, just like we do, he's not looking to created things to help. No, he's looking up. He's looking up to the temple for God's help. And this is actually the, the way that the Christian life begins, right? So when somebody becomes a Christian, think about your own biography. If you're a believer, think about when you came to know the Lord. Well, that's what happens. Somebody becomes a Christian when they quit looking to the things of this world for their salvation and for their ultimate hope, and they lift up their eyes to Christ. They understand he's the only one that can help me. He's the only one who's worthy. I have to put all of my hope and confidence in him. It's like when the crowds begin to reject Jesus in John 6. You might remember that. He turns to the disciples and he says, do you want to go away as well? So the crowds of people, they were all jazzed about Jesus after John 2. We talked about that in CGG this morning. He performs that miracle in Cana, changes the water to wine. And all these crowds are saying, oh, we want to follow Jesus. He realizes that they're just there for the show, at least most of them. And that starts to work its way out throughout the Gospel of John. More and more crowds leave. They say, he's too weird. What he's asking for is too much. He's making himself sound like God. That's crazy. So the crowds are all leaving Jesus. 
And you remember, he says to the disciples, do you want to go away as well? You remember what Peter said? Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. Well, that's the Christian, isn't it? And that's how, that's when we become believers is when we realize that. Where else would I go? What other hope is there other than, other than Christ? And see, God calls us as Christians to, to live a life marked by that same thing. So, so when life is difficult, remember your real help comes from the Lord. Look up to him. That's what the psalmist is calling us to do. And as a church, as a family of believers, we're in the position of reminding one another about this. There'll be opportunities for us as fellow members of Cornerstone Baptist Church to remind one another of this truth. So let's think of just a few examples, things that we can say to one another. So there could come a time where it'd be good for you to say, hey, this diagnosis you've been given is hard, but remember your help doesn't come from your physical health. That's an example of a thing we look horizontally to. Oh, I wanna cope, I need help, I need comfort. Oh, physical health, at least I've got physical health. Now praise God for physical health. It's his kindness to us, but don't put your hope there. No, lift your eyes to the Lord. Your help comes from the Lord, not from your physical health. Or we might have to say to one another, hey, I know this layoff is hard, but remember your help doesn't come from your paycheck. Your help comes from the Lord. Or losing this friend, I know that's hard to have this friendship be lost, but remember your help doesn't come from human friendships. Your help comes from the Lord. Lift your eyes. And we need reminding, don't we? How easy is it to look horizontally for comfort and for help in this life? You know, how often is it, is it so easy to look at human relationships or entertainment or not for me, but for some of you exercise or intellectual pursuits, all sorts of things this world has to offer, good things, but things it's so easy to put our hope in those things. We all struggle with that to some degree or, or another, but this psalm is for us. We're being called from the very beginning in verses one and two, lift our eyes up from this world to the Lord for our help. Turn your eyes away from the world toward the Lord. Now it's a difficult thing to do. Hopefully you're grappling with it, even as I say it. If you're getting it, then you're grappling with it. Oh, that's hard, isn't it? To not put my hope in what I'm gonna to do tonight for fun, for entertainment, or this human relationship, but to really put my hope in the Lord, that's hard. It's much easier in the moment to put our hope in created things, things we can see and touch, things that everybody else is telling us to put our hope in. Okay, so what motivation are we given to do this hard thing? It's countercultural, it's counterintuitive. What reason are we, are we given to do it? Two main reasons our text gives us, to turn our eyes away from the world toward the Lord for our help, it's our second main point this morning. Turn your eyes to the Lord because he's powerful. That's the first main reason our text gives to do this. Turn your eyes to the Lord because he's powerful. Verse one, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. Okay, so the main idea, he's saying, look to the Lord because he's powerful. And it's significant, the first place he goes to prove that to us, he goes to creation. Verse two, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So as a Christian, your help comes from the Lord, the one who made the heavens and the earth. You probably already see the connection. The fact that God created everything you see right now, 
He created the ground under our feet and the sky and the universe and everything that fills that stuff. Well, that gets at his power, doesn't it? That shows that he's a powerful God because he created everything. Only a powerful God could have created the universe. And scripture makes that connection in several different places. God created, therefore he's powerful. Let me read us a few of them. Psalm 124, verse 8. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Okay, why can he help us? Who made heaven and earth. Or Psalm 146, verses 3 through 6. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Now, why is God different from man? How can we put hope in him? Who made heaven and earth. Or we can think about Romans 1.20, where Paul says that the creation shows off God's eternal power. Think about how impressed you are when you walk into somebody's house, a good-looking house, and then the guy tells you or you come to find out that he built that house himself. It doesn't happen too often. Maria's dad is that way. He built their house. That's, for us mere mortals, that's an impressive thing, isn't it? When you walk in the house, you found out the guy built that house himself. God did that with the universe. Everywhere you walk, God made it. Isn't that wild? He created the whole thing. All of the universe, all of the planets, the suns, the moons, everything. He made all of it, and he made it all out of nothing. Okay, the power he used to do that that's the power God has for us when we come to him for help. That's an encouragement, isn't it? To go to him for help because of the power he has. Okay, but, but what is it that God has told us he will help us with? What category of thing has he said, I will help you with this thing? In just a minute, we'll look at our final point that God is eternally committed to you as a Christian, but what is it he is committed to do? What is it he, he has said he will do for us? We get several illustrations of it in our passage. Look at verse three. There he says, he will not, God will not let your foot be moved. Okay, so the road to Jerusalem, like we talked about, it's rocky, it's slippery, it's significant when you're hiking. There was, uh, so in Maine, there's a mountain, Mount Katahdin. And there's part of that mountain to, to get up there, you have to go across this section called the knife's edge. And the knife's edge, I don't know, it's, it's like eight feet across or something. It's something that I would never ever do, but a lot of people do it. And it's a, it's a scary thing to traverse that path to get up there on Katahdin. Well, that's how it is when you're hiking up mountains. It's rocky, it's dangerous. So that's the imagery here. He won't let your foot be moved. He gives us this illustration. He won't let you fall off the path is basically what he's saying there. Or look down at verse five. He gives us another illustration here. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. So last night when we gathered together and we were outside playing games and that sort of thing as a church, the smartest brothers among us were the ones that were sitting in the chair next to the building under the shade, right? That's the picture. They were protected there from the sun. That's the Lord, an illustration of what he does for us. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. 
But see, these are, these are obviously just figures of speech because clearly there were Israelites who would have slipped and fallen during a journey. And that doesn't mean the Lord's not faithful. So by saying your foot won't be moved, okay, we understand he's not speaking literally, you'll never take a misstep. God's people will never trip and fall. They'll never turn an ankle. No, that's, that's not what he's saying. And we know there were definitely Israelites who had to bear the heat of the sun, right? Just like God's people today have to do that. Well, so what are these pictures getting at? If they're pointing to something else that God has promised to do for us, what are they pointing to? I think the key to understanding the nature of the help we can expect from the Lord is found in verse 7, combined helpfully, I think, with some words from Jesus in Luke 21. So let's start in verse 7. What kind of help does God promise us? Verse 7 the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Okay, that sounds pretty sweeping, doesn't it? But again, we know that we have to do a little work here to understand what this means. Because isn't sin evil? Well, of course it is. But does, does verse 7 promise that you will never sin? No, it doesn't. Okay, so we need to do some work here to understand this. Isn't the devil evil? Yes. But does verse 7 mean you'll never have to contend with the devil? No. So what is the Christian supposed to make of these promises for help in Psalm 121 and the kind of help God provides? I think we find out if we look at Luke 21, verse 16. There's other places we could look, but I think that's a helpful verse. Luke 21, verse 16. You could turn there. You don't have to. It's page 827 if you're using one of our hardback Bibles. Luke 21, verse 16, listen to what Jesus says there. He says to his disciples, you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. He's talking about persecution. If you decide to follow Jesus, for those of us in here that are Christians, we will encounter persecution in various ways. It could cost us our life. That's what we sign up for when we decide to follow Jesus. That's what he's talking about here to the disciples. You'll be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you, they will put to death. They'll take your life. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. This is the significant part, but not a hair of your head will perish. Okay, so how does that work? Jesus just said, the last thing we read, not a hair of your head will perish. But right before that, he said, but some of you, they will put to death. Okay, so how do those two things work together? Not a hair of your head will perish, but you might die. Well, when he makes that promise, Jesus is talking about the disciples' spiritual life. He's not talking about their physical life. They might lose their physical life. But he's talking about their spiritual life. Their eternal destiny will be kept safe. In that way, they will be fully preserved. The world may take their earthly life, but their eternal life with Christ is secure. In that way, they will never perish. And that's the way the Christian should read Psalm 121, verse 7. Let's go back there. Verse 7 in our passage. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. What the Lord wants us to understand here is, as Christians, from this psalm, the Lord will protect you spiritually. He'll prevent your sinful nature and Satan 
and the world and physical death, he will prevent those things from knocking you off the path to heaven. That's the promise the Lord is making us. That's the help that he will provide. So in verse 6, when he says, the sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night, the Christian should understand my sinful flesh and Satan and the world and death, they won't strike me down. That's the promise that's made to us in the gospel. God won't let anything knock you as a Christian off the path to heaven. And that really is the best thing that he can give us, isn't it? That's our greatest need. Your physical health is important, but, but your spiritual health is infinitely more important. And the reason we can say infinitely is because moving forward, you will live infinitely. Your physical health won't be something that you have to think about in the new heavens and the new earth, but you will live with the Lord for eternity. And all of that is based on our spiritual health now, whether we're holding on to Christ. So spiritual health, infinitely more important than physical health. So, so look at verse three again. He will not let your foot be moved. Okay, so if, if your foot slips on the hiking trail, at worst you end up with a sprained ankle, maybe a broken foot, maybe some bumps and bruises. But see, if your foot slips off the path to heaven by losing Jesus, then what you lose affects you for eternity. You end up in judgment away from God's presence. So the question for us is, are we prioritizing our spiritual health above other things? Do we have that proper perspective about how significant our spiritual health is? So you can think about it in, in all sorts of practical ways. Are, are you and I, are, are we more concerned with sin in our lives than we are with the report from the doctor? The report from the doctor is important, right? But sin in our lives more significant, more dangerous than anything that could be going on in our physical body? Or are, are we more eager to read scripture and to strengthen our soul than we are to, to set up our next vacation? Or maybe then physical exercise, these other things that, that we're interested in. Again, good things, but not as important. Do, do we prioritize corporate worship over our, our hobbies? John Bunyan, you may have heard that name, he was an English Puritan in the 17th century. He wrote the book, The Pilgrim's Progress. It's one of the highest selling books of, of all human history. He writes this book, The Pilgrim's Progress. It's, it's an allegory. It's a story, kind of a giant illustration about a character named Pilgrim who's trying to make his way to heaven. And in fact, if you're a parent and you have young kids, there's, there's uh, some copies of the first part of a children's version of that that's on the bookshelf called Little Pilgrim's Big Journey that we've read parts of it with our kids, it's, it's great. So you might wanna grab that for, for your kids, see if that could be a, a helpful thing. So the story, The Pilgrim's Progress, is just about the thing we're talking about, God getting us down the path to heaven, secure, he, he's getting us there. Well, when the main character, whose name is Christian, when he first decides to pursue heaven, in that story, listen to what happens. The man began to run toward heaven. Now, he had not run far from his own door, but his wife and children, perceiving it, began to cry after him to return. But the man put his fingers in his ears and ran on, crying, life, life, eternal life. So he looked not behind him, but fled toward the celestial city. 
Well, that's the idea of the Christian life, right? What we're, what we're hoping to do, what we're praying to do, what is a church we're trying to help one another to do is not to get bogged down with the horizontal aspects of life, but we're trying to run to heaven. We're trying to stay on the path. We spend this life trying to keep our eyes on Jesus and running toward him. And part of the great news of Psalm 121 is God is powerful enough to keep us on that path to heaven. Verse two, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The creator of the universe is strong. Listen to the way Jesus says it. This is in John 10, verse 28. He says, I give to my sheep eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. So the God who created everything in the universe is the God who holds you as a Christian in Jesus's hand and he will not let you go. Nothing can pull you out. That's the kind of help that the Lord gives us. Verse one, I left up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. So turn your eyes away from the world toward the Lord for help because he's powerful. But see, God's power on its own doesn't mean anything for us. So the, the president of the United States is powerful, but today that's not really going to affect you much because he, he doesn't have this individual unique attachment to you. But see, the Lord does. And that's our final point. You should turn your eyes toward the Lord, away from the world for help, not just because he's powerful, but also because he is eternally committed to you. It's the final thing we see here in this Psalm, the most powerful being in existence, the one who created everything in the universe, he has committed himself to you in Christ. So just like we saw in verse three, he won't let your foot be moved. So on the path to heaven, God won't let you get knocked off. Not if you're trusting in Christ. He will get you from this world to the next. And that's a picture the Bible uses a lot. We've already seen it several times. The picture of God keeping you from stumbling on your path to heaven. That picture shows up a lot in scripture. This is Psalm 116, verse eight. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. Or you can think about in the New Testament, Hebrews 6, 6. That's one of the warning passages. It tells us, keep holding on to Jesus. You don't want to fall off the path. Hebrews 6, 6 uses the words of, of those who have fallen away. You may have heard the term backslider to refer to somebody who at one time said they were a Christian, but then it's proven they never really were trusting in Christ because they, they desert Christ. They fall away. It's all part of the same imagery, isn't it? walking on the path, walking toward heaven. Well, for the person who has truly trusted in Christ to pay for their sins, to make them God's child, God's made a commitment to that person to get him or her to heaven. Listen to the way Paul says it, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 8, God will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. And if you're here and you're not a Christian or you don't know what you think about Jesus, isn't that appealing to know, to be in the position where you know that you will end up with the Lord in eternity, 
Because when you trust in Christ, he promises to hold on to you. He, he guarantees your eternal destiny at the very front end of the Christian life. In an instant, if you will simply trust in Jesus, instead of looking for salvation from other things in this world or from your own good efforts, your own moral qualities, we know none of that's ever good enough, right? We're talking about a perfectly holy God. Our good efforts don't even come close. Well, there's no way we can save ourselves. No, Jesus has to save us. But simply by us not working hard, but by trusting in Jesus' work, his person and work alone, our sins are covered. We're made God's children, and then these promises become promises for us. So hopefully that sounds good to you if you're not a Christian or don't know what you think about Jesus. So make that decision. Trust in Christ. Come talk to me about that if you're willing to. Even if you think, I hear what you're saying, Pastor Scott, but I don't really buy it. That's fine, but at least have a conversation. It's a pretty important thing to think about, isn't it? Just have a conversation about it. Shoot me an email. My email address is on the back of the worship guide there at the bottom, scott at cbcws.org. Send me an email and we can get together and talk about that or grab me after the service. But something that we, we definitely want to, uh, to think about. But see, for those of us who are Christians, God has committed himself to you. You will get to the end. You'll get to eternal glory. Or the way the end of Jude, that short epistle in the New Testament, Jude 24 says it this way, the Lord is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory. So God is committed to you as a Christian. He will get you down the path safely to heaven. And his commitment, it's a 24-7 commitment. Look at verse 3. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Now, that's a pretty profound difference between us and the Lord, isn't it? We have to sleep. If you have tried to go without sleep for a certain period of time, eventually your body will just overrule your decision and your body will put itself to sleep. We have to sleep. We're weak creatures, right? We're limited in that way. But God doesn't sleep. He, he's not like us. He never sleeps. He, he doesn't have to recharge. He doesn't have to regenerate. I remember the summers in college, I worked for a fireworks warehouse and I would drive a truck and deliver fireworks. But leading up to the fourth, we were all in the warehouse doing warehouse work and it was a cement slab. And no, we, you know, we were college students. We had no idea that you could buy shoes that would make your feet feel better if you were on a factory floor for long. So we were all wearing New Balance, you know, or flip-flops or whatever. And what I came to realize, those long days, sometimes 16, sometimes 18-hour days, where we're getting those shipments ready, when you would go home and sleep, there was not enough time for our bodies to repair our feet. So the bottom of your feet just stay sore until you had a day off. And then all of a sudden, your body could recharge, your feet feel normal again. God's not like that. He doesn't need time to regenerate because he never degenerates. He's always perfect. That's an incredible thing. And, and that alone, isn't that a God worth worshiping? A God who never lacks in any way. He never becomes more weak. And that shows itself he doesn't have to sleep. He doesn't have to recharge. And here's where God's lack of needing sleep is particularly encouraging for us as his children. 
His attention is never off us even for a second. How incredible is that? His attention is never off of you, even for a second. Those of you who have had young kids or have young kids now, you know, there's times where your kids are sick. And it's always a hard thing when your kids, especially when they have a fever, to put them to bed. You want to kind of watch them, keep an eye on it as parents. Or, like it's happened in our house several times, if a kid bumps their head right before bedtime, it's when it always seems to happen. Potential concussion right before bedtime. So you try to keep them up for a while before you put them down. But you know, as a parent, you try to stay awake and keep an eye on that kid as long as you can, but you can't do it all night, can you? Eventually you fall asleep. That never happens with our Heavenly Father. He never falls asleep. He never takes his eyes off of us. He's always monitoring us. And in particular, he's always preserving us on the path to heaven. So during the daytime, he's keeping you on the path to heaven. But even when you're asleep and everybody else is asleep at night, he's awake and he's keeping you on the path to heaven. Look at the middle of verse three. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. See, that's different than the created things that we oftentimes look to for help. There are times when you need money, but your bank is closed. There are times when even the most faithful friend will let you down. You've experienced that. There's times when your body will fail you. Everything this world has to offer us in terms of help eventually falls asleep at times. It's not always there for us. That's a good test, by the way, for what to worship. You should only worship that which never sleeps. Well, that's a, that's a category of one person, and that's the Lord. When we were in Maine, the, the final winter we were there was an especially cold one. So everybody went through heating oil more quick. That's the way that they heat their houses and businesses in Maine. Isn't that wild? Heat it with oil. Well, everybody used more oil than normal. So the oil company couldn't keep up with keeping everybody's oil tank full. So I walk into the church one morning. It's winter. It was, it was close to zero outside. It might've been five degrees. And I was used to the feeling of walking into the church building and feeling instant relief because you walk in and we had a thermostat that was set to kick on before I got there, praise the Lord. So I don't know, it'd be at least 60 degrees when I walk in. So I walk in the door and there was no relief. And it took my brain a minute to figure out, was, it was just like, wait, what's, what's happening here? I was outside and normally step in the threshold and then it feels better. It doesn't feel better we'd run out of oil. So I walk into the church building, and when I get there, the church building, it's 15 degrees inside the church building. So we still gathered, the kids remember this, but we prayed a prayer, we sang maybe one verse of a song, uh, we looked at one passage of scripture, and then we left, and we all fled and, and went, went back home. Well, the good news was our church had a, a, an agreement with the oil company where we sort of paid for this service agreement, so we got bumped to the top of the list. So even on a Sunday, when if you're just a residential customer, if you call, you get a message and it says, we'll be here on Monday morning, call back at eight o'clock on Monday. But we had this agreement where no, they get the guy and he comes out even on a Sunday morning, praise the Lord for it. Well, that's the kind of thing the psalmist is talking about here. That's what we need in our spiritual lives. We need a God who is always on duty. 
a God who never sleeps. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. So as a Christian, his attention is on you all the time. And what he's doing for you can be summed up by a word that shows up in our passage six times, which is a lot. When you're studying scripture, look for the repetition of words. We've talked about that before. That'll help you clue in to the sort of the main message. There's a word shows up six times. Look at verse four. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. Okay, keeper or keep. It's a Hebrew word, shamar. It's the word that was used of shepherds as they keep the sheep, as they pay attention to the sheep, as they care for them. Well, before the foundation of the world, God created shepherding to point to his care for his people. He keeps us like that. So verse four, behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. Look down at verse seven. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. So God puts his constant attention on you in order to keep you, to guard you, to shepherd you. And he's keeping you by way of every detail in your life. So it, in other words, God has tailored your life for you specifically in order to shepherd you toward heaven. Verse 8, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. So you see what he's saying is the Lord's using all of your life from the moment you go out to the moment you come back in. He's designed all those details for your spiritual good. It's what we saw in our congregational reading, Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So all things work together for your good as a Christian. If you're trusting in Christ, then every second of every day of your life has been tailor-made by God for you in order to get you to heaven. Isn't that incredible? Every second of your life as a Christian, tailor-made for you by the Lord, in part, to get you to heaven. Now, there's, there's multiple other reasons why the things that happen to you happen to you, but that's always one of them. So, so if you're a Christian, why'd you get really sick a few months ago? In part, to get you to heaven. Again, there's other stuff going on, but that's one reason. If you're a student right now and you're a Christian and you're wondering, why is school so hard? You know, school's about to start. You might be thinking, oh, school. Why is school so hard? In order, or in part at least, in order to get you to heaven. Why didn't you get that raise at work? In part, in order to get you to heaven. God uses every detail in your Christian life to keep your foot from slipping off the path to glory. Verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. It's an incredible thing. God's, God's literally moving heaven and earth in order to get you through the course of this sinful world in your sinful flesh to get you safely through to heaven. Now, why would we look for help from any other source than our powerful and faithful God? I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. 
Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray together.